Hey there all you cool cats and kittens and welcome back to another episode of Best in Sass, where each week we take you behind the scenes for conversations with some of Silicon Valley's best and brightest operators and investors. Crack a beer, get comfortable, and join us on our quest to find the patterns and playbooks that accelerate the sprint to 10 million of that good stuff, that repeatable stuff, that stuff we call ARR. All right. So today I'm, I'm really excited to have um, a seriously acclaimed revenue leader here on the show today, uh, Nate Gilmore. He's currently the chief revenue officer at PandaDoc. He's an investor advisor. He was a growth hacker and EIR leading um, growth at 500 Startups and their Series A team. Nate, welcome to the show. Thank you. It's an absolute pleasure to be here. So I love the fact that you're, you started off as a lawyer. Um, and, and it makes a lot of sense now being involved with PandaDoc, but um, how, how on earth did you go from getting your JD, being a lawyer, and then uh, becoming a, a revenue leader? Um, yeah, I actually, I went to Santa Clara Law and graduated in the uh, late 90s. Um, I, I, I think it starts with like, like recognizing at some point that you're sitting in the wrong seat. And then wondering how the heck you get out of the seat into a different seat and then wondering which seat you should go to. Um, all of that happened for me maybe a year and a half after I'd passed the bar and was practicing law. And I was like, I, I'm not sure if I like uh, this career path I'm on. And so I started the discovery path for where do I go next and found out that the law degree is insanely transferable. Um, across a whole lot of different industries and functions. Um, and I, I did a bunch of inf like informational interviewing with a whole lot of different companies and like was uh, blessed with a lot of generosity from um, people in everything from corporate real estate to PR to um, revenue leaders and got into business development and sales and joined an e-commerce startup back when they didn't call it SaaS uh, they used to call it uh, an application service provider market. So um, joined a, a small startup and that was my, that was the, my start into tech and revenue. If we still had to call it application service provider, the, the podcast name wouldn't have the same ring to it. Correct. <laughs> yeah. And what, so what was it about that transition? Like what drew you to it and, and enough for it to stick? I think ultimately, like one of the things that was interesting about law, I, I didn't spend a whole lot of time in corporate law. Um, I was mostly dealing with stuff after somebody had already tried to build something and it had kind of fallen apart and they were picking up the pieces. There's like a whole aspect of law, which is, you know, um, the 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 business, the, the the building of contracts and the kind of inside counsel side of law that I actually didn't get into. Um, I got into that much more when I got into startups and realized that um, I could also do a lot of that inside inside counsel work with them while I was also helping doing sales. So ultimately, I like to build things and be on the, on the creative side of the business. Um, and I, I liked doing that on the business side more. And I've just found the legal degree to be very helpful to help move, um, uh, like coordinate the paths, especially of two different companies and like help them come together. Totally. So 
And and then now you're you're a chief revenue officer, so you're overseeing both sales and marketing, correct? Sales, marketing, and CS. Perfect. I, I'm curious. In previous roles, I mean, a lot of the time, and this seems to be less of an issue now that the kind of chief revenue officer role has become more of a mm-hmm. thing. Uh, but it used to be that sales and marketing frequently would kind of. Uh, be in their own camps and be at odds with one another and wouldn't be partnered uh, to the degree that they should be. Uh, I'm curious, like as a CRO, um, how you've seen that landscape change. And if you think it's gone to the point where it needs to get to for sales and marketing to truly be aligned. Yeah, I I think there's, there's almost two questions in there. Um, And one of them is, is we will try and answer both of them, but um, uh, I've, I've, I spent a lot of time in marketing. I spent a lot of time in sales and yes, um, when those two organizations get along and they hand off and they have great handshakes and there's actually a, like a certain amount of tension, I think that's where growth really occurs. So having a healthy tension there when it gets unhealthy, that's when there are problems. Um, uh, from my perspective, especially early stage, um, I think in many ways, this CRO role has has come about for companies at the you know eight to ten million or even a little bit before stage, um, because also of the rise of the technical founder that um, or two product founders that are just hyper product focused and they want they want to partner with a business leader to help them scale the business side of it. Um, and for me, I've spent a huge amount of my career in SMB SaaS as opposed to enterprise SaaS, where product-driven growth is uh, a key driver of that. And so um, having one revenue leader that allows the, the founding team to really stay focused on, on building the product business and building the the product-led organization, and then leaning on a revenue leader um, to help scale the revenue organizations. At least that's my that's been my experience here at, at PandaDoc, and I, I consider myself to be kind of a partner to Makita and Sergey as they they do this. And I, I kind of serve I serve their needs and try and build the organization that is going to um, be uh, be something that can live whether or not they need a CRO, but that's, that's what um, it's, it's like building these functional organizations that work together to build the revenue engine that works with the product engine. Right. Completely. Okay. So we, before this call, we were um, talking about how there are these bands and there, maybe it's, it's an overgeneralization, but for the sake of kind of breaking these up into pieces, there's the zero to 1 million revenue band, totally different set of problems than the one to 10 and the 10 to 20, if we were to simplify it in that way. Um, for the, the purpose of this show, you know, we're really focused on post-product market fit. You're probably somewhere around or over a million in ARR. And now you have your sights set on that first big milestone of 10 million. So I'd love to hear kind of when you jump into a company that is in that position. And I know PandaDoc is well beyond that. Um, what are the what are some of the playbooks or thoughts and experience that you've brought from your prior um, engagements that you bring to a company like that? Like, what's top of mind? What are the first steps that you take? 
So I, I think like in zero to one, it's like making sure you get that product market fit and you've started to get a channel that looks scalable. One to 10 is really about scaling that first channel and making it really predictable, repeatable. Um, and then starting to add the second or the third channel underneath that. And as like thinking of like your, your marketing and sales channels as your platforms or your boards of revenue growth that you need to build to build a stable floor and just keep on growing the size of your house. And so in one to 10, it's all about getting those first channels stable, scalable, and then predictable, and then starting to work on efficiencies. So it's like, kind of like, think about that, like, like, especially in SMB SaaS, it's, it's, it's about funnels and it's about finding, um, finding what's, uh, what works, building it, instrumenting it and starting to scale it and watching it break down and fixing it and scaling it and watching it break down. But looking at your conversion points, whether it's, you know, lead to opportunity, opportunity to close or inside of an e-commerce transaction funnel or inside of a marketplace, looking at like watching each one of these funnels. And that's one of the main things that 500 startups coached in their growth accelerators is breaking it down into funnels and then, and then um, getting your kind of KPIs and your North stars inside of your funnels and, and watching those like a hawk. Sure. So when you're thinking about new channel development in this phase and you're, you're testing, uh, for viability, how do you like to approach those tests? And at what point, I mean, it can be pretty painful when you're testing new channels um, and handing off those leads to sales to figure out if, if the, the conversations that you're starting are worthwhile conversations with the right audience. Uh, how long do you usually like to invest in a channel before you deem it to be not viable? That's a really interesting question. Um, because you asked the negative, before you deem it to be not right. viable. Um, so, so there's this. Um, I, you know, I'm a really big fan of like Balfour, Brian Balfour, and the the reforge method. I don't know if you've ever had him on your podcast or you consider it, but like, um, I actually I, I don't know him personally, but um, the 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 model that he that he put out with um, early on when he was at HubSpot and he kind of followed it up is like test, iterate, continue to like build um, hypothesis for a specific channel or for specific what you're trying to test on that channel. Um, And then build a hypothesis, test the hypothesis. And if you get return on it, can you scale it? And so inside the first pieces of the, of the channel is really, can you, um, uh, can you get some type of traction and then can you improve that traction? And that's why I think like designing the funnel, knowing which, what you're trying to aim at, what, what, like I have a hypothesis that if I, you know, uh, build this landing page, this specific way, my visitor to lead conversion is going to improve 10%. We'll do it, test it. Did it work? Great. If so, leave it in. If not, start to back it out. Um, and just a repeated scalable like testing scenario, um, an iterative model of, of looking at channels and always kind of trying to improve them. Because I think that the, the, the question you ask is like, when do you decide a channel isn't good? Well, like 
if you've tried everything you can possibly try to get it to really grow and improve and you can't make it move, then it's probably not a good channel. So, right. But if, if you're getting market improvement with the things that you're working on in it, then you can continue to grow that channel, whether it's an inbound channel or an sure. outbound channel. So I guess to push a little further on that, because I think a lot of the time, one of the things that these early revenue teams struggle with is figuring out the right way to, this might not be the right way to phrase it, but like buy enough air cover to get run through those tests, even when you're not seeing what to kind of at a holistic level is market improvement, but you might be making these little wins and getting closer and kind of proving out some of your hypotheses along the way. But to say like the CEO or the board, it's like, when the hell is LinkedIn going to work as a channel for us? You know, is it, should we take our spend and put it elsewhere just as a, a pseudo example? Mm-hmm. So how, how do you handle that? The kind of the relationship side of, you know, you're running through your hypotheses, you're trying to prove out a channel. It hasn't clicked yet. How do you handle that side? Yeah. So especially early stage when you're, when you're making a bet on a channel, you're like, okay, this is about the size of the bet that I want to, I want to make on that. And then, so it's a question of like, what do you think you're going to be able to get with that bet? You're not going to like maybe humbly thinking, I'm probably not going to get to pre- predictable repeatables where I know how much money I can dump into this channel over time to scale it. But I want to, I want to build the box and the, the assumptions to be, um, uh, reachable for the amount of investment I'm, I'm capable of making right now and being able to set those expectations well. Right. So like if, uh, if the bet, let's use your example of LinkedIn, Hey, we're going to use LinkedIn sales navigator. We're going to try and do some outbound. Um, the idea is we're going to invest this amount of time and this amount of money, and we're going to try and get somewhere close to this, um, this return on leads, not necessarily revenue. Let's say, let's see if we can get this, this amount of traction and leads, and then we'll figure out if we can turn that into revenue. Um, at, at, uh, at the next part of the test, right? So I, I think a piece of this is, is really trying to understand what you're trying to accomplish at what stage of that channel. Cause just like we talked about, like one to 10 is much different from, uh, sorry, zero to one is much different from one to 10. All channels start at zero to one. They all start there. So even if you're a one to 10 company, you're always at like, we're at Panda we're adding a new channel now. And it's like, how much investment are we going to make in this? What are, what are some of the things we're really testing in that? How do we know when it's going well? And how do we know that we're, that we're on the right track and we want to continue to plow money into this investment? We're at, those are the, I think breaking it down is really helpful. So, yeah, I really like that. So now, but you brought up the next stage, right? You generate, you're generating a bunch of leads and then you're saying, okay, well, how do they convert at that next stage? So in that handoff, I'm curious what you like to set up as far as the relationship, the mechanism of the handoff itself. So that, cause obviously there's a ton of great feedback that can be had when those leads begin to be qualified, conversations begin to happen and you're trying to move them through the rest of the funnel. So how do you ensure that the feedback loop is there between sales and marketing? Mm-hmm. Um, so at both 500 and at Panda.com and candidly at Shipwire before that, um, one of the first things that, we, that we've done is we've um, as, like designed what the the um, design the language and what each stage means of our funnel. So what does uh, a marketing qualified lead mean? 
who's handling that? What's the next step? Is the next step a, um, is the next step an opportunity or is it uh, a connected lead or something else? So, you, so like between sales and marketing, you literally map out the stages of your funnel and you define the gates and what each gate means. And by doing that, you actually now have the agreement of, of what has to occur for that gate to have passed and who owns what portion of the gate. So um, that I, I think is that helps uh, design the, 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 the conversation between sales and marketing. Um, and it serves also as the instrumentation panel for success. So you know, hey, you know, marketing is going to generate this many marketing qualified leads as defined by X. At that point, either the SDR team or the sales team is going to take it depending on kind of the, the type of the company. Or I'm going to have a marketing development rep or a BD rep handling it through. And this is what the next stage looks like. And when it hands to a closing rep or a demoing rep or something like that. So every business is slightly different. But if you define, like design that, it's absolutely critical. And there's a lot of blog posts out there on designing that funnel and those language of sales qualified lead, marketing qualified lead, opportunity and then the stages of your opportunity funnel. So you can look at those on the sales side of totally. it. I think that it totally does. Question. Yeah. Thank you. So speaking of defining things, going back to this transition from 1 million error to 10 million, and then there's some sort of defining moment. Maybe it's not a moment, but it's a series of things that happen in general, the 10 to 20 sprint looks different. So what do you think if it isn't that specific number, but it's kind of the culmination of a number of, things what are those things that culminate together to change the game from 10 to 20 um yeah i think it's number of channels you're dealing with and whether or not certain channels are kind of like topping out or you've got kind of a lot of um blue ocean you can sail into there so like the question like a lot of companies you know, peter out at like seven to 10 million because they haven't found a channel to get them to the next growth phase. And so it's really adding another channel, developing it. Are you, you know, are, are you all inbound driven? Are you inbound and outbound driven? Are you review site and PPC and SEO? Like adding all of those channels up, are you generating great growth as you're, as you're moving forward? And then are you adding different, um, Typically, one to 10, you might be focused on one specific type of customer or one specific size of customer. And then 10 to 20, you're starting to add. Um, you either can really grow in one particular, either mid-market or enterprise or SMB, you're going to continue to grow into that, or you're starting to add a little, like another cohort of customers that you're really going to focus on and moving from discovery of that into something predictable, repeatable, and scalable. What are there systems? So let's say, you know, you, you cross that milestone, the, you sit down with the board and they're like, all right, Nate, what, what things need to change now in order for us to prepare ourselves for this next stage? Like, what are you rolling out? How do you know? Yeah. So, I mean, the, the board's job is to constantly be like pushing you for what is the next growth lever and, um, and how how do we how do we approach that? How fast can we approach it? Can we do it faster? 
um, and how much growth is there going to be. So like, um, you know, my experience at, at, at PandaDoc is a balance of growth and efficiency. And literally they're like telling me like it's, it's a, the balance is on the growth side, especially for my position. It's like, you got to go grow. Um, and so, uh, it's all about looking at specific understanding what opportunities you have in front of you and being able to figure out which ones are closest and most efficient for your team that you can reach in this and then whether or not something's further out that you need to go start building to get to. That's some of the thought processes that, that I'm actually going through right now as we're reaching for more growth levers. Interesting. So my last question before we transition to um, winding down is around um, going back to the negative. So what what would th- maybe let's pick three three things if you're sitting down with a revenue leader, um, let's just say they're they're responsible for sales and marketing at a company that's in that sprint from ten to twenty. What are the three top three things you would say? You know, make sure you don't do these things. Make sure to avoid falling into these traps. Hmm. There's, a, there's a lot of negative there. Um, so av- avoid these things. Um, so avoid, um, a, like one, one great question I'd love to ask myself is, um, if somebody else came in and did my job, what would I kick myself that they did next? that I didn't do. And oftentimes you'll know what that is, right? And so if you're like, if you haven't added a specific channel, don't wait, start that experiment. So like, like avoid, like don't, don't wait to start these experiments, get them going and start working on them. So you're constantly trying to like crawl towards that next revenue, that next, uh, that next source of revenue. Um, don't, um, you know, customer experience and, um, and, you know, don't wait to, to start looking at expansion. Don't wait to start looking to go, you know, up market or into new markets. Um, so all of these are like ways to get you out of your comfort zone and working on the engine that is most comfortable and you're looking at. I think this is like what, like, um, a really healthy board is also pointing to the CEO and, and the revenue leaders going is what's next? How are you going to go do this? How are you going to grow? Is this, is this, how scalable is this channel? How do you know how scalable it is? And it's all about getting you out of your comfort zone. Makes sense. So don't wait to get out of your comfort no, zone. That's a great takeaway. So winding down now, I, I like to ask, you know, who, who are the folks out there? You've had an amazing career so far. Um, who are the folks who have been inspirational to you or mentors, folks that you look up to? They can even be peers. Yeah. Um, one of, one of uh, when I was at Concentric Networks, um, I, I still talked to a gentleman named James Isaacs, who's now a CEO multiple times over. Um, and I, I love to, when I get time with him, I love it. Um, I, you know, I, I, I said, uh, Brian Balfour is somebody I really look up to on the growth hacking piece of this. Um, I have not gone through Reforge. I have not done this, but I've, I'm a follower of what he does and I really appreciate it. Um, I've never even met him. Um, and then uh, from a, a coach perspective, I'm, uh, 
there's a, the CRO at Reich is a gentleman named Barrett Foster who's been very helpful um, to me in helping point me in a lot of right directions. Um, and then one of uh, uh, my last CEO at, at Shipwire, uh, or the only CEO I worked with at Shipwire, was a, a, a man named Damon Schechter, who um, uh, was an amazing product leader who could um, who built a very scalable and was willing to take on you know Amazon and Amazon's game uh, in the fulfillment space. And the team I'm working with now is unbelievable, unbelievable, from Makita to Sergey to the revenue leaders like um, you know, Richard uh, in uh, who runs finance for us. Just unbelievable leaders right now that. Candidly, I'm just learning immense amount from the team that we've brought in here and the, the new VPs of product and sales and CS and marketing that we've had here. I feel very humbled to be uh, working with this group. Well, Nate, I can't wait to continue to follow along with the, the PandaDoc Panda story as, as you build it up. Um, and thank you so much for sharing all of these insights with us today. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Really appreciate it.